0: Second player, press start. Hello,
1: and welcome back to another episode of Second Player Press Start. My name is James, and I am joined, as always, by Guy on the Couch.
0: Darren, welcome, 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 as John Oliver would say.
1: Yes. Um, How are you doing today, Darren?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. I'm, I started off a little tired and a little cold, but this tea that you fixed me is fixing both of those problems. So
1: awesome. I glad I, it. glad I could be of service. Um, unfortunately we're not here to talk about tea. Um, you can check out our tea cast or, um, <laughs> all the latest on tea.
0: Tcast.com. TCast.com. Um, second player drink tea. <laughs> slash tea. Um, <laughs>
1: But we are here today to talk about um, self-described as a independent AAA game, which I thought was kind of hmm. interesting, um, from a, a studio that I've been kind of into for a while called uh, Ninja Theory. And we'll probably chat about kind of their history in a little bit. Um, but we played Hellblade Senua, I guess.
0: Senua's Sacrifice, yeah.
1: Senua's Sacrifice. I guess that's what we're running with. Um, Senua, that's if we're pronouncing it wrong, I apologize. Um, we played it on the Xbox One. Um, it's currently available for free on their Game Pass service, uh, which keeps on winning. Um, that's Hmm. a great little service. Um, it's also available for the PlayStation 4 and uh, the Microsoft Windows PC. it was released uh, in August 2017, and then the Xbox One version came out in April of 2018. Um, and it looks like there is support for VR, which I'm guessing is on the PC, um, as an update. So that's kind of neat. Interesting. Um, yeah, why do we start with this game? Um, should we chat maybe a little bit about Ninja Theory's past?
0: Yeah, you have more experience with that than me, but I think even talking about it as a indie triple-a would be a good line in cuz that's what some of their other stuff kind of feels like.
1: Yeah, um I first heard about Ninja Theory um when I first got a PlayStation 3 and um when that console came out there wasn't a ton of games for it and um Sony isn't Sony wasn't kind of pumping out the super high quality games that they are right now uh, with things like Spider-Man and God of War. Hmm. Um, But back in those kind of early PS3 days, uh, one exclusive that came along was a game called Heavenly Sword. And for the time, um, the thing that really shined about that game was um, one, its graphics, Mm -hmm. um, and two, they... One of their staples has been kind of this um, facial like motion capture. Gotcha. Um, is it Andy Circus, the guy who played Gollum? Is he part of the team for that? He worked on Heavenly Sword, and then he later worked on because they did Enslaved. I believe right. And he played Monkey, right? And he played one of the char- one of the lead characters in that game too. Um, so he has a bit of history with that studio, but mm. the one thing that stood out about Heavenly Sword was just how for the first time in a video game, it just seemed like they were capturing these genuine kind of performances right. using this tech that um, that still shines through um, to what we played on uh, Hellblade.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, so I think after that, I think Enslaved was probably the next game that I played, um that was a really well done game i i enjoyed that game and it was kind of in that like middle spot of like not a triple a game but not like a low budget game Hmm. um and then i think after that they worked on a devil may cry game um which i've yet to check out and then uh it seems like they've gone independent and, uh, well, they're no longer independent, but right, right. they went independent for this game, which um, has received a ton of, like, critical success. And um, now they've recently been bought up by Microsoft as a, an exclusive studio. So they'll be working on uh, Microsoft's upcoming games. I guess they'll hmm. probably produce something for them, which is really exciting. Um the xbox definitely needs some higher quality exclusive games because gotcha compared to sony's lineup of games they don't have um as much so that's that's really cool um yeah we sat down well actually darren sat down and played hellblade i kind of uh, sat next to him and watched um what was kind of your initial impressions
0: uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the Ninja Theory protagonists have primarily been women. Yeah. Some of the main protagonists. Now, in um, Enslaved, it was still a woman protagonist, but Monkey was, was a pretty like significant secondary character because he was there with her the whole time, right? Yeah. So you were seeing through her eyes um most of the story, so she would be the protagonist, but Monkey was like a much more significant secondary character than you might have seen in uh with Sacrifice or what was the Heavenly Sword, right? Because in that one you were also a woman, um, just a badass woman who was fighting people. <laughs> I don't know Heavenly Sword that much, but um does that seem to be a trend in yeah. the stuff that they've put out so far.
1: Yeah. It's, um, and actually like visually a, a lot of their character, the, the lead female kind of, uh, is very similar, um, mm. in terms of the way they look, uh, generally with a ponytail. From, okay. From what I remember.
0: Cause I remember in heavenly sword and in enslaved, both women having like pretty vibrant red hair. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways in their costuming i wouldn't say that they were necessarily sexualized characters but in their costuming there was there was skin showing and and they were they were beautiful women yeah now in senua's case i would say she's still a beautiful woman but in the way she's presented in comparison to those other games um she's very she's very gritty she's like she's covered in like her war paint and mud and she's been through Literally, I guess if you want to look at it that way, she's been through hell, right? That's where she's going. Yeah. The game almost presents it that way as a literal, but also as like as as a metaphor, right? Yeah. Um, this journey that she's on, and I I think that's a really interesting transition from what we've seen from them before, because we still have a strong woman lead, but their take on her seems different than we've seen in the past, and. I can't speak to Heavenly Sword, but an Enslaved, um, it was Monkey that was doing a lot of the fighting while she was kind of controlling him or something like that through some tech or something like that. Yeah. But in this, it's all Senua. It's all like everything begins and rests on her shoulders and she's carrying one hell of a weight on her shoulders. Right from the start of this, I was very... Very much reminded of God of War and how we just launch right into things. We don't have a HUD. We don't have anything that shows health bars or level up systems or direction or anything. And you're just directly in control of the character. In this case, you start paddling. Uh, down this river and i remember in god of war that we were paddling on this kind of hollowed out log as well so there's a lot of similarities there now i think this came out before god of war though in in order of development yeah that would make sense yeah no i'm not saying one copied from the other or anything like that but they both have old mythology in their veins like this is norse mythology and god of war is now in in the new god of war is also norse mythology i believe so yeah right so there's a lot of similarities there in the in the story that they're that they're portraying or the world that they're in even and the types of characters or figures or names or gods or whatever that are part of that those worlds so i just i find that really interesting and how both handle them in a similar cinematic way and yet both take a very different perspective of the type of character, even though both characters are seemingly quite fragile and are carrying emotional, social, um, like familial burdens, they they seem to take a different, a different scope of what that looks like in the gameplay that I got to see, right? No. Now, you've played... More of god of war than i have so you can maybe speak to the differences there but i played both games about the same amount of time so from the onset with this i never had any idea of even what my buttons did i was just moving things around to figure out okay that's my natural look key look stick and this is my moving stick there was a point where uh i realized at a certain point in the game that i hadn't even used my b button yet But when I press pause, as soon as I hit the pause menu, my control keys came up, which I had never been shown in game, which is a normal tutorial thing, right? This is, you know, move forward. And then it shows the little, your little left stick being moved forward or the, or the up arrow or something like that. Right. Or this is your heavy attack or your, you know, whatever it is. And that this game was just completely missing those things. Now missing is probably the wrong word because it was very intentional. I I assume but yeah. just to not see those things to me really separated it out from other games that I've played that are similar to this or even that I would argue I would say God of War is in the same genre of game right the the kind of third person brawler fighter right. maybe
1: um yeah I mean this game was pretty minimal like right from the the outset um, so you kind of start off in this in this boat kind of uh, paddling downstream. Mm-hmm. And um, even the way I kind of liked how they introduced the credits at the beginning, they right, had right. kind of these um, augmented, I guess would might be the word to use, um, like credits that kind of were in a 3D space. So as you're kind of paddling past it, um, it's like an object that's um, kind of suspended in right, in right. space, um, much. I mean, oh, go ahead, please. Much like a kind of an augmented reality kind of a
0: right, yeah, thing. like overlaid on top of the world, but yeah, but three D in the sense that you feel within the game world, you could touch it, right? Yeah. Um, I remember them doing a very similar thing with credits in a David Fincher movie called um, Panic Room. And the first time I saw that they're showing city shots and panning through a city. And then there's credits that are sitting like over top of buildings and you can see their shadow and they're filling up real space. Yeah. Um, And another another video game that had your iconography and your your actions and your words and stuff in game was uh, one of the Splinter Cell games yes and yeah I, I don't remember which number which which um, one that was That was conviction i think it was called but it was one of the ones where i forget the splinter cell character's name sam fisher sam fisher there you are but where he where it was more about him as a character as opposed to the you know the, the dark undercover espionage guy that just zooms in a mask and just doing missions kind right of thing. yeah um and I thought that was a really interesting way of handling, like you said, handling whether credits or information on screen and displaying it as part of the game. Speaking of the credits, one of the things I noticed right off the bat, one of the earliest credits in the game was for a mental health consultant. Yeah. And I thought that was that was fascinating because you could tell within a few minutes of the game that there's, there's some serious um, mental health challenges that senu is working through because of this this burden and guilt and and the way her like i guess you could say her her mental capacity or her um her spirit her soul whatever is breaking under the pressure of everything that's going on in her life yeah and you get it in bits and pieces but from the very start of the game you hear her voice in from multiple directions the, the game men- mentioned, you know, play this game with headphones because it gives you a, a better experience of that. But I can only imagine having headphones on and just being surrounded by these voices constantly yeah, and constantly giving you disinformation, constantly feeding you um, things to worry about, things to doubt yourself. And it's just, it's a really heavy, oppressive feeling. Yeah. And then you find out that this river that she's on is the... The Norse, I guess, equivalent of her traveling to hell. Right. right? And that whole setup for me, right at the beginning, with credits rolling with these voices, very little in the way of real, true, like expositional narrative. There's nothing that says, okay, and then Senua does this, and then Senua does this, or there's like some narrative voiceover or even text on the screen other than credits. But you're just, you're just feeling this feeling where she's at and trying to you're almost being immersed into who her character is and what she's dealing with yeah at the same time you're seeing it play out in front of you i thought that was really well done really well done
1: yeah i mean we only played the beginning which was kind of the story for for most games that we play on this podcast but sure um i could tell they were kind of tastefully kind of, um, giving you little hints and clues as to what this journey she is kind of, um, starting on, uh, will kind of eventually become, Mm. um, I'm assuming it's some kind of metaphor for something that's happened in her life. Right. Right. Um, but it's, um, it's a really fascinating game because you start immediately. At least for myself, my brain started to immediately start to wonder hmm. why is she on this journey? Um, sure. You know, these voices in her head that are speaking to her, they're her own voice, but they're like almost like different personalities. Yes, yeah. And um, yeah, it, it just right from the the moment the, the game kind of started it just really pulled you in and Mm -hmm. uh made you kind of question things um so yeah there is a lot of kind of walking um yeah and kind of moving forward um i guess the only other like little bit of gameplay that we kind of experienced was um she eventually encounters these like
0: demoned yeah shadowy shadowy demon type creatures that are uh, kind of like hybrid with like they have antlers and stuff so i'm sure there's north norse mythology that comes through that but these creatures that she has to fight and in some cases like they scared the hell out of me because they just come out of nowhere yeah sometimes you maybe have an idea that they're coming or that they're around you because the voices are getting scared but um i thought that was handled in a really um I don't know. It fit. It fit the the world that they were already building. It didn't seem like these characters, because you could argue that these characters are completely imaginative, like parts of her imagination. Right. Um, just the way that they are presented as well, and every everything that she's dealing with is part of her own manifestation, right yeah. of of the world around her and how her brain or or her psyche is experiencing this world. Um, so yeah, I didn't get to play, but
1: um, how was kind of the, the combat, so to speak?
0: Um, well, one thing that was really interesting about it is that, as I mentioned before, we don't have any explicit reference on the screen for any controls or anything. But at a certain point in the game, when you, when you lose the first combat, I think, there's a message that pops up on the screen and there's this little video that you see of her arm getting darker. And it says very explicitly that the more you lose, if you find like, if if this, I don't know, plague, I don't know what, what the word is they use for it. I don't know if I even wrote it down. But this, this blackness, if it eventually like covers her or reaches her brain or something like that, then she just dies. Right. And immediately we're like we're asking each other, is that, what is that? Is that like a roguelike then? Does that mean it's permanent death? What does that mean? Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting to give that to us as the player explicitly in that text when nothing else had been up to that point, Mm. even though that they share a video to show that like, because we lost, she's starting to lose control of her arm. That's, that's how they presented it. Now I wonder if, and this was my guess from, being a player and and looking at this from a design perspective, but if a number of play testers had played and some didn't think that, yes, there was permanent death. Yes, that it would be a game over and I have to start over. So without knowing that explicitly, some people might've felt ripped off, right. right? Or that, Hey, I didn't know that was going to happen. That's unfair. And it gives them a bad experience of the game. But I'm really curious because, um, having not got to a point where she actually died and I've invested X amount of hours into the game, um, I'm not sure how I would feel about that. Yeah. But I just think that's a really interesting design decision. After all, we had played, what would you say, 30 minutes at least, 45 minutes mm-hmm. till we yeah. got to that point? Because we're still exploring the world up to that point before we get into this fight. And all of a sudden there's words on the screen. And they're explaining something that is very much a game mechanism, a game mechanism, not a narrative. It doesn't serve a narrative function, right? And so, and that happens after that first fight because I inevitably lose the first fight not really knowing how to control my character because they haven't explicitly told me how to fight, right? Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting way to handle that fight. At a certain point, once I understood my controls fighting became more of a how can i explain this there's some fighting games where you are incentivized to play defensively and some where you're incentivized to play aggressively offensively yeah and this this to me anyway had a feeling of somewhere in the middle ground because losing was not a good thing and because you felt so overwhelmed by everything happening that you didn't you wanted to like get away from these creatures and at the same time she felt so powerful when she when you played her aggressively and her attacks and her animations and things felt so strong that it felt really good to be this badass Norse warrior yeah. when you were playing her and and that was was a really interesting dichotomy because i wanted to be I didn't want to be anywhere near these creatures, but I knew they'd never leave me alone. And I knew that they would just show up out of nowhere sometimes in the mist, right? Yeah. So it was a matter of, I need to finish them off because if I don't, I'm going to I'm gonna die. And that's going to be worse and worse for my character over time because of that explicit mention on the screen. But I also really liked almost really like punishing these creatures for some reason i don't i haven't really thought through that yeah and it could have been like i said part of the world that was established part of the way that they they animated and visually brought senua into those combat sequences or just the fact that uh the control aspect of it felt felt good and it felt like um i had enough control to that i could do what i wanted to do kind of like when we talked about Fantasy Strike, that fighting game, Yeah, where just by doing some really simple button presses, I could do my combos and do my special moves and stuff, and it almost felt similar with this. Like, I didn't have to work too hard to make it happen, so I felt powerful in those sequences, even though the setup made me feel weak. Right. I'm not sure how much that presented through in you as a, as a viewer, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really get a sense of that, because... I wasn't, like, actively watching you. All right, we'll pause there for a sec. Sure. Um, sorry about that. Uh, if you heard the phone ring, uh, I guess that was the first time in the podcast that we've had a live call. Um, unfortunately, that call was from my mom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she thinks her podcast is cool.
1: Yes. Um, so we'll kind of resume uh, where we were left off. Um, which I believe Darren was asking me about um, how it felt me as the viewer watching the combat and if I got a sense of like how involved you were playing. Is that
0: my... Yeah, just like I said, for me, I had this desire to be aggressive because I felt awesome doing it and yet to to play defensively because I was concerned about my character. And it was just an interesting dichotomy. And I'm not sure how much you got of that as a viewer.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, it just kind of looked pretty standard. Um, kind of, you know, attack when the window is there and then kind of not attack or dodge when sure. the moment kind of arises. Um, I don't think I had that sense of like, um like not wanting to die because I, I didn't experience the death on the o- onset. Right. Um but I can understand how that would impact how kind of okay, I don't want this character to go through that again, so I'm going to right do my best to play but yeah. Um yeah, from my end it didn't look like anything to crazy in terms of what you were doing
0: yeah mechanically i wouldn't say there was a lot in terms of innovation but because of the setup for the fights i think the world building and the character design made things feel a little different than it would have otherwise right and i also wonder if putting that explicit note on the screen about permanent death made me play very differently than i would have had i not known it right yeah it's like when they flash the little at the beginning of a movie that this is based on true events you handle the material differently, right? There's that old story with the movie Fargo from the Coen brothers where they said it was based on true events, but in fact it wasn't. Hmm. And people had a very different feeling about the movie knowing or believing that it was based on true events, even though it wasn't. Right. I, I just think that's an interesting psychological aspect to it.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, Beyond the Combat, um, I think the only other like gameplay element that we really witnessed was um there were kind of these like portals that would kind of set off fire or flames from what i remember hmm. and then um you kind of had to run through the flames within a certain amount of time to break through kind of a barrier if i'm remembering
0: yeah correctly. so the the setup for that we were in like this fire god's domain and that was one of the first after getting through over this this bridge to this i guess the nether world or the nether realm or whatever from the first part of the game we had to go through these different domains of these norse gods to to overcome them or beat them or like giants or whatever to to somehow whether it was prove our worth or in order to move on to the next to the next stage right so we were in this fire god stage and every time we found, it was like an altar to this fire giant or this fire god, and there was there was like burnt, charred remains of humans and stuff there that were worshiping at this altar. And by us touching the altar, it would almost transport us to this fiery version of the place we just were. and then we needed to find the exit out as the flames were getting higher and things like that. So it did feel, yes, that there was a timed element to it, but in those moments too, my character was a little harder to control. Hmm. So I felt like it was more of a struggle to get out of those places than it was to get into them. And I think, again, that was just part of the world design and world building kind of pushing this oppressive feeling. Right. Yeah. Cause one thing that you mentioned before, it was, uh, there was a lot of just walking and moving forward in the game. And not, a lot, of, not a, a lot of it had difficult terrain. It wasn't like Tomb Raider where I'm trying to jump gaps and climb ladders and pull switches and that kind of thing. Um, it was just getting from point A to point B through this world. But what I found really interesting is because I wasn't given control keys explicitly at the beginning of the game i didn't know what my run button was right or even if i had one so i didn't start using the run until later when i was messing around with the buttons but even at that point because the world that i was in felt so interesting to me i still found myself walking a lot on purpose because i was constantly looking around especially after some of those earlier fights where these creatures could have popped up at any point right i almost felt I was, I was intimidated, right? Like I, yeah. was, I was nervous that the world would be attacking me at any given point because there wasn't really any rhyme or reason, it seemed like, to when I would be attacked or when things would go weird. I even remember walking through this sequence and off to the left of the screen from the angle I was at, it looked like I saw this face in the waterfall. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then going up to it, it in fact was a face and unlocked this kind of story um narrative sequence of this waterfall talking to me and maybe it was in my voice or something or, or one of my ancestors or something like that and i thought that the way that the world played on your perspective in the same way the you had to get through certain areas by unlocking or finding these runes in the world so these rune symbols runes were naturally um really hard line like easy to etch into rock or to wood with sharp hard lines straight lines because you don't have to like carve circles and stuff into wood or stone when you're writing these ruins so all ruins are just really hard edge lines right so you would find these ruins on these doors and you then needed to move around the world around the area of the door in order to find this rune by matching up. So if the, if I get the tree at this certain perspective, I can see that this branch goes in this direction. And then if I match it to the wall beside it, then it makes this, this kind of H looking rune. And that is what I need to help unlock the door. And there's a few sequences where it was almost, it was kind of puzzly, I guess you could say, but at the same time, it was very much you being forced to experience the world and look at it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. I thought there was a really interesting way of handling that. And I hadn't seen something like that before. Yeah. So when I saw that face in the waterfall, at first I thought it was just another one of those weird perspective tricks that the game was messing around with, but then being able to walk up to it and interact with it and have it talk to me was fascinating. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think obviously we've just kind of scratched... The surface with this game. Mm. Um, I like. I'm fully expecting that there's going to be some form of a conclusion or a payoff. Sure. Um, playing through this, um, just because at this beginning part we're given so little information mm. about what's happening, and we're kind of drawing the conclusions. Um, based around everything that we're interacting with and since theres zero explanation um, I can only believe that later on in the game it's all gonna click and kind of make sense within mm-hmm. this narrative right um, so yeah I don't know if there's really much more to to really say um, it's an intriguing game yeah mm-hmm. um, I think it's something that I will definitely, or maybe we'll play again together Sure. and kind of experience this journey. Um, I don't know how long this game would be. I don't. Right. Right. Seeing kind of the, the minimal gameplay elements that they've introduced so far, I can't imagine that it's going to be like a 30 hour right. game. Right. Um, and especially since they developed it as kind of a an indie studio at that mm, point. Mm. Um, I could see it being more of a bite-sized, maybe like a five-hour-ish, okay. six six-hour-ish experience, maybe. Maybe I'm sure. way off base. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we've we just kind of scratched the surface.
0: Um, what were your thoughts? Because again, I'm going to draw comparisons to God of War, but in the new God of War some very similar elements but at a certain point we open up the the pause menu or the hud and remember we talked about just being overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that the game never addressed at that point in terms of leveling up and skills and all this kind of stuff and this sanua's sacrifice didn't have any of that so i mean like what you're saying now that gives you the obvious hint that this game isn't as complex, doesn't have as much depth, probably doesn't have as much length to it. Um, but the other thing that I see different, and this might be, I guess it depends how you look at character drama and like character development. But in God of War, we had the son that was carrying through with us. And we had in some ways, these flashback type sequences where we were talking like his wife and things like that, or, um, or where she was where she was like wrapped up and, and we were, you know, burying her or whatever. I think I think in that mythology, like they, they let the house on fire or something. I don't remember what happened there. Yeah, it's been so long since but, we played it, but yeah. But yeah, there's there was more interaction with Kratos and another character, right? A, a somebody else. In this one there was no somebody else that she interacted with. Um unless she saw those remember those rune um, those like monument, those stone yeah. monuments, and then the then you would break into this kind of visual sequence where this person, this man, I guess, was talking to her and in, in kind of poetic language, yeah, uh, which is very different than interacting with another character like we saw in God of War. But how do you feel that affected your idea of like her development as a character, and were you you talked about it being like hints and clues and, you know, just scratching the surface and kind of this abstracted uh, narrative delivery as opposed to, I'm just talking to somebody else. Do you feel that that was more compelling to you? Did Maybe less compelling? Maybe you would have liked to see other people that she interacted with? Or was this more about this solo experience with this one character that was completely isolated and maybe everything was in her head? Yeah, I mean...
1: My initial kind of, if I was to guess, kind of the the end game is that this person is dealing dealing with her mental health, mm. and um, this is the journey of her dealing with perhaps a tragic event right. uh, that's happened in her life, and. Um, for anyone that's gone through, you know, that's ever had a tragic event happen in their life. um, When you kind of come out the other side, um, you kind of look back at that journey that you've taken and Hmm. kind of the ups and downs, um, you know, the points of where you feel like you may have lost quote unquote. Right. Right. Um, And, you know, along that journey maybe you if you get knocked down too many times maybe you don't actually get back up right Right. um which could be a metaphor of those kind of demon creatures sure and um you know there are you know some people do decide to give up and Mm. um maybe that's a player choice you know if you struggle against these guys maybe your character decides to give up i i mean these are all guesses that i'm kind of make making based on what I'm perceiving from the game, but, right. Um, yeah, I think like, I think most people have struggled with some form of mental health in their, in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really great that a game's kind of tackling this, um, in a way that, you know, It seems like it's using these metaphors, um, as a way that, you know, most people, if you are struggling, you can perhaps relate Mm. to maybe some of these feelings and, uh, hopefully there is a light at the end of the tunnel because that's what I'm kind of rooting for.
0: Yeah. Um. That she finds some sort of peace, right? Yeah.
1: And, um, I can only imagine with all the critical praise that this game's got that that, that ending will be true that there will Mm. be some form of um the way the story is told that will kind of make the player reflect on maybe his or her um own journey with uh, mental health
0: sure or even empathizing with others yeah for
1: sure um yeah i guess we won't know until we get a bit further but from that initial playthrough even sitting as a player watching it was it was pretty fascinating Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i would i would definitely play more of the game um you know there's there's other games that once i've got to a certain point i kind of have a feeling of what the next step is going to be but i am interested in her story yeah i'm interested in what that metaphor is how far that metaphor goes and what that says to me is as as an individual too right or as even as an individual that has struggled with mental health issues how how does this game portray them is it is it respectful does it help me empathize with people that are going through things that i haven't gone through and i think those are all important questions for sure it's i think it's great that we're at a point in culture and technology and the state of games where we have room for this kind of thing yeah um i think that's come up in our discussions before about different games and you know from some of the old school stuff we've played all the way through to to this kind of thing and you know that's only a year old or whatever yeah so yeah
1: yeah i mean i i hope going forward that um ninja theory kind of gets I mean, Microsoft's got pretty big pockets, so... Mm. I mean, I hope they don't turn into just a, a game studio. Right. Um, right, I hope they kind of continue with... Um, I mean, they've always been kind of uh, storytellers in a way, mm-hmm. looking at their past games, and uh, they've kind of dabbled with um, kind of mental health stuff in some of their other games, mm. and... Um, I mean, I hope they continue to kind of evolve this medium in a way that you know games aren't just you know big dudes with guns sure. shooting people. Um, like it's a it's a pretty diverse um, kind of medium now, and uh, mm. I think yeah, hopefully they can kind of kind of continue on that path of kind of pushing thing, things forward. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so yeah, with that, unless you have anything else to add?
0: Um, I think we hit everything, yeah. I've, I'm just looking over my notes, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's it's a game worth checking out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we will probably... We've yet to kind of play a game a second time. Um, Truth which is it's crazy, because there's just games coming out all the time, and yeah. I have just such a huge backlog of stuff that I just want to experience. And um, I think this is a, a special type of game that probably needs to be seen through to the end. Hmm. Um, so I think this will be one that we'll, we'll try and get back to sooner or later. But um, yeah, that'll probably end it for today's episode of Second Player Press Start. Um, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, for more information about us, um, this podcast, our YouTube channel, you can check out our website at secondplayerpressstart.com.
0: And that's second with uh, number two, numeral two ND, secondplayerpressstart.com.
1: And uh, as always, uh, good night, Darren. Good night, James.